awestruck and alone, he stared up at the object for a minute or so as his heart raced and his knees shook. He ran frightened up the driveway as the object followed in the sky. It stopped over the trees again and then circled over him. He heard a whirring, fan-like sound, which grew to a high-pitched mechanical whine as it veered away toward Broadway. The man jumped into his car and drove after it. When I saw it again, I stopped and stood on the roof of the car and looked at it, he said, his voice tremulous as he puffed on a cigarette. There was no one else on the road. I was thrilled and terrified. The whole time I'm thinking I have to get my camcorder, but I was afraid to take my eyes off it. I felt that I had to memorize everything I was seeing. You're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast. Strange Skies Over Maine, Special UFO Edition. And now your host, Down East Mike. Down East Mike. You found the Down East Mike podcast and today we thought we'd do something a little bit different uh, because uh, who wants to listen to that dreary old news every single day? So this is Monday, August 8th, 2022. We have a special UFO edition and uh, let's see, we should probably open with our disclaimer that some of this is whimsy, some of this is true. And the interpretation of it all is entirely up to you. So in our special UFO uh, edition here, we have uh, the Bar Harbor Disc, the Waldo Mountain Light Bulb, the Straight Line UFO of 1984, and a lot of other stories. So what happened here was, uh, you know, I was thinking I was going to relax this morning and just do a standard podcast. And Frank Nord plopped down this big stack of papers and on the desk. And he said, uh, you know, I know you've got uh, Bill's duty later this morning. And uh, it, it's hot down there. And sure, the engine room's got to be cleaned up. But uh, why don't you just do a podcast on UFOs and... And just take it easy today. And, and then he's just kind of wandered off like he does. So here we are. We've got a big stack of uh, UFO stories to go through. If we looked at uh, April 27th, 1994, there's a story about uh, Leland Bechtel. He sounds like an industrialist. And uh, talking about UFO sightings in the area recounted by former Bates professor. While traversing the byways of New Sharon in a Volkswagen on March 28, three University of Maine students studied what appeared to be a brilliant star in the overcast sky. It's the most beautiful star I have ever seen, exclaimed Andrea, who sat in the car's back seat while they returned to their Farmington campus after a home-cooked dinner. As they turned onto Route 2, what they thought was a star began to sweep the sky Descending toward them, Matthew the driver stopped the car and they piled out to observe the object, which was about the size of a pickup truck with its bright orange light. Hovering silently above the treetops, they stared. It was hovering above the treetops, not them. They stared at the circular body, 
capped with a dome, but after several minutes they began to feel its flashing lights were now directed on them. Curiosity turned to fear. What if they come down and abduct us, Matthew cried out. Suddenly spooked by the experience, they rushed back in the car and drove off, later reporting the incident to the Franklin County Sheriff's Department. Now, who wants to be the person that makes that call? Like other apparent UFO sightings, uh, this Bates guy described to a gathering Monday at the Auburn Art Club, this one, the most recent that he'd investigated, remains unexplained. Well, of course it does. He taught psychology at the college for 33 years, interestingly enough. And he, he was the former main director of the, of the MUFON network, the Mutual UFO Network. I'm not trying to sell anyone on the idea that UFOs are real, he said during an hour-long lecture. I really don't care if anyone believes. I feel the evidence is enormous that UFOs are out there. They were laughed at in the past. And now they're being taken seriously. This was in 1994. Uh, so this this is quite a little story. Let's go look at another one. He is more. Oh, the other one we wanted to touch on in that same article was uh, uh, in the summer of 1993, a York Beach hotel owner, an ex-Marine officer, along with his wife and seven others, spotted two glowing discs off the ocean. Phone calls to police and military offered no explanations. And in another case, an Ellsworth police dispatcher, while flying with friends in a private airplane, encountered a smooth, oval-shaped spacecraft shortly after leaving a Bar Harbor airport. No military or other aircraft were reported to be flying at that same altitude. In the March 28th sighting, a Franklin County Sheriff's deputy later that night drove out to the site and reported seeing nothing. Sheriff Don Richards has since speculated that the flying objects may have been emergency management workers using helicopters to check on ice jams in the nearby Sandy River. Or it could have been UFOs checking on ice dams, right? Let's see, from 1976, uh, Unidentified flying object sightings in the tiny village of West Penobscot are not at all unusual, the residents claimed Thursday, this 1976. But after a sighting Wednesday night, one resident decided it was about time some official agency be told of the incident. So Mrs. Virginia Perkins called the U.S. Coast Guard Station at Rockland. It's not unusual, we see them all the time, Mrs. Perkins said. My sister had a UFO hover over her car three years ago and scared the hell right out of her. Coast Guard Petty Officer Warren Bowden and Mrs. Perkins and her daughter, Mrs. Melinda Gray, reported the sighting occurred about 9.45 p.m. Wednesday with the object appearing in the sky from the direction of Waldo Mountain in Frankfurt. It had the appearance of a star but kept getting closer and lower in the sky. It was estimated to be 5 to 10 feet in diameter and looked like a bright light bulb. The UFO reportedly continued on a path up the Penobscot River towards Bangor, then veered south towards Ellsworth, came straight over the Perkins trailer, and continued on towards Blue Hill. Michael, he's the son, he verified the story on Thursday. 
Although he did not witness Wednesday sighting, he claimed to have seen UFOs three or four times over the past few years, and the latest was about two months ago. We seem to see a lot of them in the fall. He could not explain why his mother decided to report the Wednesday sighting, other than she must have thought it about time some official agency be made aware of the phenomena. He said a lot of people in the area had made the same observations, but had not reported them. They're afraid people will think they're crazy. Michael related the experience of his sister three years ago while she was driving at night in the area on her way to pick up her husband. The UFO hovered 30 feet over Mrs. Gray's car, which became stalled. The inside of the car lit up like a million flashlights. Michael said he has seen UFOs as close as 75 feet. Not that he was measuring, I guess. I've seen them go right up and down, 75 feet off the road. A recognized expert in the field of UFOs, Stanton Friedman, was reached in Milwaukee on Wisconsin on Thursday. This was a time when Stanton Friedman was always available to chat. He was generally interested in the main UFO sighting. He said he receives enough listings of UFO sightings each month to fill 20 legal-sized pages. Friedman left a career as a nuclear physicist to devote full-time to making money, I'm sorry, to lecturing and gathering information concerning UFOs. He claims to have the facts and solid information to substantiate the existence of flying saucers and celestial beings walking the earth. In his lectures, he said he tries to stress the facts in attempts to bring down the laughter curtain, which is what we're trying to do, which surrounds the sightings of UFOs. He said in his tours of the country, it's not unusual for as many as 15% of the population to admit to having seen a UFO. But when asked how many reported the sightings, 95% of them sit down. Friedman's not convinced of the existence of celestial activity on Earth because of a personal observation of a UFO. I've never seen one. He admits, I've never seen Australia either, but I know it's there. That's validation for you, folks. Petty Officer Bowden was also very interested in the Perkin story on Thursday. He admitted to me and a believer who had not experienced a personal sighting. I sure would like to see one. Easy for him to say. Uh, we have a story from 1984, March 27th. Authorities confirmed Monday that 20 people reported seeing a UFO over Maine during the weekend, but military officials say it wasn't a plane and an astronomer doubts it was a shooting star. They obviously saw something, but the question is what, says Neil Cummins. He's a professor of astronomy at the University of Maine at Orono. Cummins said it would be tough to identify the object that sailed across Saturday night's clear heavens unless he has a better description of what was seen. People from between Bangor area and Brunswick, which are about 100 miles apart, called the Brunswick Naval Air Station to report the UFO. Lieutenant Steve Jordan, I've been here said I've been here a year and a half and it's the first incident like this with so many people calling in. The officer on duty that night told Jordan calls came in from Bangor, Augusta, Litchfield, and Bath, Brunswick. Twenty calls in all. That's a lot. A lot of people out looking at the sky. The consensus was that an oval shaped object fifty to one hundred feet long with blue and white lights traveled in an easterly direction across the sky. 
If you look at the towns the calls came from, he said, it almost follows a straight line. That would be fun to chart that out on the map. Jordan said he called the U.S. Coast Guard, which reported nothing unusual at sea. He checked local air traffic and called into airports, but all planes in the area were accounted for. That is quite the story, 20 people. That was in 1984. It was almost like a mini flap, except it only happened once. From 1995, we have another uh, UFO story. It was actually our, our opening little story from East Dixfield. Whatever woke Terry Carcos at 5.45 a.m. on January 3rd remains a mystery. I was sound asleep. I sleep real light. He's a, a freelance writer. Oh, this is a different story. He volunteers as a trail maintainer, and he's been nominated for the position of Overseer of Structures by the Maine Appalachian Trail Club. He was awakened in the morning by a three-second overwhelming roar and a bright light. Now, this is sort of like I wake up like that when I hear the furnace kick in. I think, oh, God, there's $6 down the drain. It sounded like machinery, like a metallic sound, just like a jet's thrust reversers. I didn't see anything, but the light just filled the window. Carco's bedroom window, covered with blinds that morning, faces west towards Route 17. He estimated his house is 10 or 15 yards from the highway. He thinks it's unlikely the noise and light came from a passing truck. He thinks the sound sounded more like an aircraft than a vehicle and explain that he's familiar with plane noises after once living near an airport. The noise woke up his grandmother, whose first floor bedroom faces east. She didn't report, however, seeing any light. According to Carco, some some friends uh, of North Jay also heard a rumble at about the same time. Boy, it's just starting to build up to be a big story. Carco says he does not believe in UFOs, but would like to find some explanation for it. So they consulted Daniel Green, an astronomer at the Smithsonian Observatory in Cambridge, Mass., and he said he'd heard reports of a fireball east of Marblehead at about the same time. Well, I think that kind of nails that one down. Let's go on to a new story. Uh, this is from 1947, so right around the time of... Uh, uh, the, when they first started reporting UFOs, a preliminary inquiry, inquiry is the British say, into reports that strange flying discs have begun whizzing at 1,200 miles an hour over the western U.S. has not produced enough fact to warrant further investigation, says an American Air Forces spokesman. The official said we don't have a thing that would give any real realism to a report made last week by a flying Boise, Idaho businessman. He said he saw nine mysterious objects, big as airplanes, racing over Washington State's Cascade Range with a peculiar weaving motion like the tail of a kite. Several other persons in widely scattered localities later said, they had glimpsed similar objects. This is the first discussion of flying disc flying saucers. The Air Force's spokesman said the Army had no new experimental planes or guided missiles which would fit such a description. He said Air Force people are inclined to believe either that the observations are just something that's imaginary or a meteorological explanation. 
Uh, however, right, right field Dayton, Ohio public relations official said the Air Material Command is making an investigation of saucer-shaped missiles seen re recently in the Pacific Northwest in Texas. And that was July 4th, 1947. We have from 1992, uh, let's do this story here, uh, one one young man who nervously asked to remain anonymous for fear of what others might think joined this UFO group. His sighting occurred shortly after 11 p.m. on July 26. He was driving home from his job at the Bangor Mental Health Institute where he has worked as a certified nurse's aide for the last 12 years. As he pulled into the driveway of his trailer park in East Corinth, he looked toward the nearby woods and saw what appeared to be two large headlights moving slowly toward him above the trees. The lights, two of them set far apart with a red one at the shadowed center, soon hovered directly over him at a height of perhaps 70 feet or more. He could not determine its shape. Awestruck and alone, he stared up at the object for a minute or so as his heart raced and his knees shook. He ran frightened up the driveway. This is our story, our opening story. So he, he stands, he stands on the roof of the car and puffs on a cigarette. And there's no one else in the road. He's terrified. He's thinking he should get his camcorder. He's thinking he's got to memorize everything he's seeing. And as he continued to follow the object in his car, he could make out four pulsing lights of red, green, and blue, with smaller, dimmer lights in a row along its length. As the object made a broad Arcing sweep across a valley, the man raced home to get his camcorder. He stood outside for an hour or so, but saw nothing more. Desperate to talk, he called a couple of friends and poured out the bizarre story. Not surprisingly, they took it as a joke. He sketched the object over and over and spent the rest of the night committing every detail to memory. I called the state police in Orono the next day and asked if they had reports of anything strange in the sky. They said, no, sir. I called the air guard, and they said, no, sir. I didn't say anything else. I just thanked them and hung up. When he finished the story, he talked to the UFO group. The others in the small group sat quietly for a moment, digesting what they had heard. They asked a few questions, but no one seemed surprised. The story was a common one, after all. With minor variations, it has been reported countless times in UFO literature from around the world. The East Corinth sighting, like the ones in Camden, Presque Isle, Toddy Pond, Limerick, Limestone, and other main locales, would be listed on a computer as one more mystery in a long history of them. For the man who claims to have witnessed it, however, UFOs suddenly are a little too close for comfort. I just wanted someone to tell me what it was I saw that night. I feel fortunate, I guess, but I need an explanation. From 1975, an editorial in the Lewiston Daily Sun, UFOs over Maine. The Air Force has given an official explanation of the sighting of an unidentified flying object over northern Maine, but it's not very convincing. A spokesman at the Loring Air Force Base in Limestone said that the UFO appears to be either a planet or a star. He explained that variations in atmospheric conditions can produce changes in the brightness of stars and planets. The number of viewers and their obvious reliability argues against the Air Force explanation. 
The UFO in the pre-dawn Sunday sky was reported by Caribou Police, Sheriff's Deputies, a Civil Defense Officer, a Royal Canadian Mounted Police Constable, and even personnel from the Loring Base. The descriptions were generally in agreement. The object had bright bluish-green and red lights, traveled rapidly, and emitted no sound. Loring radar got a fix on the UFO over Canadian airspace, and that later was denied. Whatever it was, it seems the Air Force should be able to come up with a more credible explanation. So again, that was from November 20th, 1975, Lewiston Daily Sun, an editorial looking for more explanations. And as we probably, as you probably know, that uh, UFO case over Loring Air Force Base is quite, quite famous at where they, some of the personnel on site have later come forward and said the uh, UFOs hovered over the uh, the nuclear uh, component of that facility. So what what going on there? Uh, let's go all the way back to 1887. Uh, President Fernheld of the Maine State College at Orno saw the big media that fell last Thursday and thus talks about it. Last Thursday evening, I was engaged in my class in astronomy when about 8 o'clock, the sky became suddenly luminous. On looking for the source of this unexpected light, I saw the meteor about 20 degrees above the horizon in a direction which subsequently measured indicated as south 50 degrees east. Members of the class who saw the meteor agreed that its apparent magnitude was nearly that of the full moon. Extending above it was a trail of violet light from which issued vivid scintillations. The duration of its descent was probably not more than five seconds. Observers of such phenomena naturally deceived as to the distance of the point where a meteor falls to Earth. Hence, it was to be expected that rumors of its definite locality would be numerous. Nearly everyone who has reported this observation to me has stated that it seemed to fall not more than half a mile away. In an attempt to determine the truth, Professor F.L. Harvey of the college and myself went to Vanceboro in this state and McAdam Junction in New Brunswick last evening. You know that it was reported that a meteor had fallen near the latter place and wonderful statements as to its immense size and intense heat were given currency. All of these statements were found uh, were without foundation. The meteor was seen at both these places in a direction south by about 20 degrees east, it was seen at Bridgewater, about 60 miles north of McAdam, and at Callis, about 60 miles south. It was also seen at St. John and by telegram from Halifax. I am informed that the direction of the media was observed there was southwest. Telegrams of inquiry sent by me to, by me to Yarmouth and Annapolis, Nova Scotia, have as yet brought no reply. Until these places are heard from, the path of the media cannot be definitely traced. Taking into consideration, however, the bearing from the State College and such statements as Professor Harvey and myself have been able to gather, my impression is that the media passed south of Nova Scotia and fell into the Atlantic, where they always end up, seems like. Advices from Yarmouth may, however, show that it passed north of that locality, at which event it must have crossed the lower portion of Nova Scotia. Its resting place is doubtless at the bottom of the vast deep. From the extent of the territory illuminated and its extreme brilliancy, there was reason to expect that a large meteoric body could be secured for some 
scientific institution, it would now seem that such a hope cannot be realized. Translation, they don't know where the media fell. But imagine that, lighting up the sky like that. It was a meteor main story from 1891. It burst with a loud report and sent fragments in all directions at about 4 o'clock yesterday. This is February 21st, 1891. Uh, 4 o'clock yesterday morning, a large meteor about the size of a full moon was observed in the sky. It burst with a loud report over Madison Village blazing fragments scattering in every direction. Uh, houses were shaken through by an, as though by an earthquake, and hundreds of people were awakened by the concussion. I wonder if we would awake today with this. Uh, it's difficult to read this, this uh, scan here. Uh, glare was visible all over the state. Uh, no noise was heard except in Somerset County, where people heard a rumbling reminiscent of an earthquake. We don't have meteors like that today, do we? Uh, from 1888, uh, there's a story of a meteor seen in the daylight. This is actually Appleton, Wisconsin. At 2.30 yesterday, a tremendous meteor was observed to pass over the southern sky from east to west. It, it rivaled the sun in brightness and fell, uh, left a long train of sparks in its wake. The media moved very slowly and was evidently at great height. It was visible for half a minute and finally faded away without noise. And maybe we have a couple more here. Let's see. From uh, 1887, this is in September, uh, from Augusta, Maine, the media which fell somewhere on the north uh, New Brunswick border of Maine on Thursday evening last Frightening timid people and astonishing those who are wiser. I would count myself in the in this latter group. Uh, it astonished people who are wiser in size and brilliancy was immense, exceeding by far any meteor on record. Its great size and luminosity are tested by the broad territory which it lighted up, it being distinctly seen over a breadth of country extending more than 1,000 miles from Portland, Maine to Newfoundland. As seen here, it burst forth in all its glory at a point about midway between the zenith and horizon and the eastern heavens, uh, maintained its brilliancy till it dropped behind the hills. Its movement was not very rapid. It was several seconds in passing before the vision. An eyewitness described it as being large as a cartwheel and equipped with a tail 30 feet in length. The nucleus or head rivaled the electric light in brightness, while the brush-like tail was of a pinkish hue. Reports from various country towns are that many of the people were overcome with fear and some even took refuge in their cellars. Those who did not get a distinct view of the media but saw the light regarded it as a flash of lightning and listened for the roll of thunder. In Bangor, 70 miles east of here, uh, this giant stranger was still more prominent and, and created much excitement. Speculation was rife as to the destination of the stone, and when a main central conductor came down from McAdam Junction in New Brunswick, just over the state line, and reported the meteorite had fallen near that station, there was no end of speculation and gossip. He said it struck the earth with great force, penetrating 10 feet deep, and that it was red hot. In Rockland, a main seaport near the mouth of the Penobscot River. The meteor illuminated the night as elsewhere, and the residents were quite certain that it tumbled into the bay. 
At sea it was a magnificent spectacle. I noticed the fall of the meteor, said Captain Francis of the Boston schooner Addy, and it is the second one of the kind I have seen within a week. Where was the first? We were five miles or so south northwest of Isle of Shoals. Last Thursday night I was on the quarter deck smoking when I was surprised to see that we were in what I may see was a good deal more than more brilliant than electric light. It was so light that I could have seen to pick up a pin. The man at the wheel spoke to me and said what lightning that was. I waited for the thunder to follow the lightning but heard nothing. Then looking up, I saw where the light came from. A great burning something was overhead falling rapidly. I do not doubt from the position in which it was that it fell into the sea but at a point too distant to be seen or heard by us. That the media fell somewhere between Bangor and Halifax, that can be but little doubt. In Bangor it appeared in the east, and to Nova Scotia people it was in the west. Many believe that the stone is lying at the bottom of the Bay of Fundy, Fundy buried only at high tide perhaps, as the flats are bare their low water for a tremendous distance. So I don't think you'd be going through the Bay of Fundy looking for a meteorite. At Halifax, its appearance was accompanied by a terrific concussion and a sound heard like that of a heavy clap of thunder, followed by detonations at intervals for several seconds. People rushed from their houses in alarm, fearing that an earthquake was at hand. Indeed, the earth trembled precipitately. Intelligence from St. John's, Newfoundland, there I use those two words in the same sentence, says that the great fireball was distinctly seen there, and after it had disappeared, a thin luminous cloud apparently lay at that point in the heavens where it apparently burst forth. The simple fishermen of the island were many of them terrified, and not a few of them regarded it as a premonitionary sign of the end of the world. It would seem this was not the only pilgrim in space which has taken a fancy to visit the east. At Portland on Saturday evening, another meteor was seen a few minutes after nine o'clock and was pronounced exceedingly brilliant. One gentleman who saw it is positive it fell near the city, and he reports the city was flooded with light for a brief period so that he could read a paper which he happened to be holding in his hand. Another man saw the burst of illumination and at first regarded it as an intense display of fireworks. The light was of a bluish-white tint. And one more here. The Down East Media, the story of its fall in Maine can't be verified. This is from uh, around the same time, 1887. It's the same, same one they're talking about. The stories regarding the fall of the media at Vanceboro and McAdam Junction last Thursday which are still being printed in papers in and out of this state, are entirely destitute of foundation. No media fell in this state or in the provinces as far as known. So thousands of people see this thing and it never happened. I love the way they do that. Uh, Postmaster McNear arrived home from Boston City Hospital last Saturday. He was there 11 weeks recovering from the accident. Uh, oh, he had an accident on a Boston horse car by which he broke his hip. He is yet very lame, being unable to get about the house without help. Reading of the falling of a media from Eastern Maine last Thursday night reminds the writer that at about 10 o'clock that same night, he saw a strange phenomenon in the sky here. The whole sky was lighted up for several seconds, at the end of which time there was a loud explosion. The sky was cloudy at the time, and both the light and the explosion seemed above them. The noise was similar to that 
of a, of, but much louder than a Roman candle. And do we have any more? I think that's about it. That's our UFO special edition. And just a little break from the news. And you can think about those main UFO stories. So some of it's whimsy. Some of it's uh, meteors. And some of it's people seeing stuff that's not explained. And uh, maybe we'll do this again. But just uh, a little break from the, the normal, right? And uh, until next time, this is Down East Mike. Wishing you and your loved ones a day that is full of grace, love, and kindness. We hope you see a UFO on a good basis. And until next time, this is Dowdy's Mike saying, we'll see you.